All right, we're ready for another week. As ready as we can be, right? If you look at your syllabus, if you look at your syllabus, there is an exam scheduled for this week. There won't be one. Okay. But if you look at your syllabus, it says the week starting today, exam two. We're a little, we lost a day and we're a little behind. We're not doing too bad. But I put up the exam. I've just rescheduled it completely for the next Friday. So that should give us plenty of time, I hope, to give, barring another canceled day or anything else, to get through the planets that we've started on and the sun. And so instead of just pushing it off a day or two and saying instead of Friday it'll be Monday or it'll be Tuesday, I just pushed it the full week. And that way we'll make sure we're ready. We, sh we better be ready for it. So yours is on chapters three that we've done, chapters four through eight that we're working on right now, and chapter nine, which we, is still to come. So that has been that has been switched. Homework three will probably be switched to a little bit because I think it includes stuff through the sun. So you may get an extra few days on that. Leave, I'm leaving it for right now. I'll see how long it takes me to get through the planets. If I can, you'll probably get till at least Monday on it. But if not, you'll have you might get a, you might even get through Wednesday. And I already did the same thing with the quiz so that we can get through most of the chapters here. But I'll still finish it up before the exam, so it may be chapters 4 through 8 and only part of 9 on the quiz if we have to finish up the quiz before. So just so you know where we're, where we're standing right now, we're doing, pretty, we're doing pretty good. So questions on assignments? No? Good, good. Okay. Picture of the day today. Different picture of the day today, right? What is it? Ice. You cheated and looked before I scrolled the thing up. I didn't hide it in time, did I? I left it up completely for the other class. So it's too late to ask you what it is. It's ice. Where? Mars. On Mars. That's actually the south pole of Mars. And what you're seeing is some depressions here that are filled with ice. You're seeing ridges and then a depression below it. And then the ice, but it's not regular ice. It's not water. When, we think, when I say ice, when, when astronomers say ice, they can mean lots of different things. But when I say ice, what do you think of? You think of water ice. That's not, this is actually carbon dioxide ice. So dry ice, as we call it on Earth. So that is frozen, frozen carbon dioxide. And what happens on Mars, we're seeing here, this picture was from July, which our July here happened to correspond to the Martian summer for their southern hemisphere this year. Now Mars has seasons just like the Earth, but they're on a much longer time frame because Mars takes longer to orbit the, Earth, orbit the Sun. Orbit the Earth? I'm going back to Ptolemy. Orbit the Sun. So their seasons, instead of being you know, three months long, are more like six or seven months long. But this was taken during their summer, so some of that had evaporated. Some of that ice had evaporated or what you really call technically is sublimated. It went right from ice, from ice, like dry ice on earth. It doesn't become a liquid, right? It just goes from being a solid hunk of ice to being a gas. And that's what happens on Mars. There's not near enough pressure on Mars for any ice to form, anything to form in a liquid anymore. So the ice just goes right into the atmosphere. So it goes from being a solid on the surface so instead of like on Earth where the ice, where the snow melts and turns into water and floods everything and makes everything nice and gooey for a month afterwards, it doesn't happen on Mars anymore. 
Mars, it goes right into the atmosphere. So this carbon dioxide, when as it goes, goes right into the Martian atmosphere. But it doesn't make the atmosphere any thicker because it goes up to the northern pole and condenses out on the north pole of Mars. So Mars has polar caps just like the Earth and they grow and shrink with the seasons. So when it gets warmer in the southern hemisphere, there'll be a little less carbon dioxide ice here, but there'll be more in the northern hemisphere. A year later would be our six months on Earth for a season, but there a year later you'd have the opposite. Then you'd have summer in the northern hemisphere and winter in the southern hemisphere, and this would be much, cover, much more covered up. So it's looking, the interesting thing is the structures and how they form there, and that's something that they're talking about in the, in the picture to better be able to understand exactly what is going on there. When you first look at it, the first thing I thought when I looked at the picture was it looked like something you see under a microscope. It looks like a bunch, you know, here's life on Mars, you know, here's the little single-celled organisms. But that's actually a picture from the south pole of Mars. Now again, that's not taken from the Earth, that's taken from a spacecraft that is orbiting Mars. We couldn't get near an image like this from the Earth. Near this much detail. In fact, I don't know if they give, they give me a size. I think they do. Come on. They were 60 meters across. So that's not very big. 60 meters? 60 yards? Roughly? 180 feet? I mean, you're not talking, these are very, very small. We're looking at very, very small details on the surface of Mars, you know, a couple hundred feet across. So we're not talking miles across. They're much, much smaller. Okay, so questions on Mars? Appropriate, I don't know if we'll get through, we'll get to Mars today, we may. So, otherwise, we will go on to the planets and consider, continue our quick rush through, this, through the planets. Now we finished up here last time, we had talked about tides on the Earth, which was about as much detail on the Earth itself I got, as I got into for this class. We talked a little about the tides. I didn't go through, you know, the structure of the Earth or the atmosphere of the Earth or any of the other things that you'd normally cover either, you know, in the Astronomy 103 class you'd cover that in more detail or in a Earth Science class would cover that. But we were looking at here is just that the bulge of the Earth's tides was offset a little bit because the Earth is spinning so fast right now, spinning once every day, that it spins so quick that the moon is slowing it down. So the moon's pulling it backwards, pulling the Earth backwards because it's not a perfect sphere, it's actually pulling it backwards. So it stands to slow the Earth down. Very little bit, talking milliseconds a year. Milliseconds, you know, milliseconds, so that's why every once in a while on June 30th they'll make a big deal that there's a leap second. You've got to add this extra second in to keep, to keep the schedule, keep everything on clock. And it's because the Earth rotation is not completely constant. It's not 23 hours and 50, it varies a little bit. This is one of the reasons that it changes. Okay, so on to the moon then. When we look at the moon, and some of this you can see with the naked eye, when you look at the moon, you see what? The man in the moon, right? See the sort of make out a face? Or the Energizer bunny in the moon, depending on some people have said it like that. It looks like, a, it looks like a rabbit, the little Energizer bunny there as you see it. I don't think you can see it from these pictures. But go out and look at it sometime and look for a bunny, the Energizer bunny in the moon. And sometimes people have seen that as well. But a lot of what you're seeing is you're seeing what we call the Maria. And these are the big flat areas on the surface of the moon like this. The maria, or mare, is, sing is singular, so one is a mare, more than one is the maria, are big flat areas. Now they're named, the name means sea. 
So they're called, you may have heard, you know, the Sea of Tranquility, where the Apollo 11 landed, was the sea. And that's, that's what they are. That's the same thing. Sea and mare are the same, same term. So because to an ancient observer, it looked like they might be a, it might be a sea. It was a flatter area on the surface of the moon. Now we could never see any of this detail before. The detail that I'm showing you in these pictures was not what you could see, but you could see these flatter areas and you know rougher areas a little bit, even with the naked eye and long before telescopes, before Galileo turned telescopes there and was able to find the craters and the mountains and that. The mare, maria were formed by lava flows. So beneath the surface, this is actually the remnant most likely of a giant impact or several giant impacts. So large meteors smashing into the surface of Mars, Mars, surface of the moon, I'm jumping ahead, I was talking about Mars a minute ago, I've still got Mars on my brain. And the smashing into the surface of the moon and cracking into the surface and billions of years ago the moon was still molten inside. The earth is still molten inside now, the moon was billions of years ago. So if you cracked into that surface then that lava could come out and flow and flood this whole area. Again, on the moon that happened billions of years ago. For the last three billion years, essentially nothing has changed on the surface of the moon. Very little. There's been a few craters come on, come on. you know, we've sent a few astronauts up there, they've left some stuff behind, but overall nothing has changed in billions of years. So this mare that formed three billion years ago is still there. And again, we know that from We've sent spacecraft up there. There's a couple different ways. We can actually collect rocks and figure out how old that, that surface is. So you can do radioactive dating to, this, to the rocks that were brought back to figure out exactly how old they are. The other thing that you'll see as we go through the terrestrial planets is you look at the number of craters. And you can get a good idea of how old things are by how many craters you see on the surface. So an old surface that's been around for a long time has gotten all beaten up and hit by craters because there's all sorts of still, there's still asteroids and bits and pieces floating through the solar system and they do impact. So some of these craters are relatively new. There's a relatively bright one, a couple bright ones on the surface of the moon there. But that's what we, that's where we see. We look at how many craters there are. The fewer craters there are, the younger the surface. So if it has very, very few craters, this area is a much younger surface and was formed more recently than these more heavily cratered regions or when we go over to the far side of the moon or even down here where there's lots of craters and no smoother areas, this is a much older surface. That may have been around four billion years. Four, four and a half billion years which is about what we estimate for the age of the moon and the earth and the solar system in general. So how does a crater form? The idea is the meteoroid comes smashing into the moon. Now there's nothing to buff it. On the Earth we've got nice atmosphere here that helps us. So it kind of helps with our satellite that we were talking about on Friday, right? That came down, what was it? We still don't know exactly when it came down. Sometime between Friday, late Friday night and very early Saturday morning when it was passing mainly over ocean but also over parts of Canada. So obviously it didn't hit us. So. Somebody in Hawaii thinks we saw some. Did they? Okay. But I haven't heard anything that's been verified by NASA because I even looked in their site this morning just to see if they'd confirmed to where it came down and they, they're still saying they're still trying to figure out exactly where it, where it landed. Uh, 
But we don't have that on the moon. So this, these objects, any object of any size comes right through. So sort of like that satellite got through the Earth's atmosphere, it doesn't take a very, it doesn't take any kind of meteorite. Even the little specks of dust that form our shooting stars come and smash into the surface of the moon and form craters. Now, of course, the size of the crater is going to depend on how big the object was hitting it. But as it comes in, it essentially creates an explosion. So it comes in there, throws material out. So you see the material is getting blown out from, blowing out from that. And then you have, it comes down in what we call ejecta or rays. And we saw that. I'm going to go back one slide just to show you again. You can see this relatively younger crater, Copernicus here. And you can see that there's all these rays of bright material stretching out from it. That's all from when the impact occurred. The impact occurred like a big explosion and that strewn the, the material was all strewn out through the, over the surface of the moon. So that's what's happening here. And then eventually you have the ejected material which is a lot lighter than the other material on the surface. It's dug up from underneath. And you have a crater formed here, which will be bigger than the actual meteor that hit it. So it sort of enlarges the size. That comes smashing in with a big explosion. So if it was you know, one size across, it, the, meteor, the crater will be, I think it's about 10 times the size. So if it was one meter across, it would be about 10 meters. So it doesn't take a very big meteor hitting in order to form a good sized crater. So if we think about that, if that's the rough idea, that one we, we look at one for the one on the surface of the Earth. There's one in, there's a nice big crater in, where is it, Meteor Crater in Arizona? About a mile across, I think. So mile is about 5,000 feet. So if it's about a tenth, that's only about a 500 foot piece of rock that came in to make that. And of course it would have caused effects well beyond just that impact crater. I mean the material thrown up is even more. Is even more. But that's just the basic idea of what happens in forming a crater. The meteorite strikes the moon. Explosion, because it comes at such a high speed, it comes in at a very high speed, it explodes, pulverizes the crust completely in there. If there was liquid below it or even access to liquid, it could come up and flood that, air, flood that and have it be flooded, as we looked at with some of the Maria. And even some of the smaller craters have evidence of flooding in them. That wouldn't happen now. Any meteor happening, meteorite half hitting the moon right now would simply form a crater. There's no longer anything liquid in the moon that we know of, or nothing at least close to the surface that could get back out. So the moon has been volcanically has been dead for about three, three and a half billion years since the last Maria formed. So there we go. There's the number I just said. About 10 times as wide as the meteoroid creating them and twice as deep. So typically, it depends exactly on what hits and how that works. It can vary a little bit, but so about 10 times as wide. So if something a mile across were to hit the Earth, I could form a 10 mile crater. So you can get pretty, and, and it wouldn't, and would do a lot of damage outside that. So it's much, much bigger than what it hits. The one that you look at, you look at the one in Mexico that supposedly was the dinosaur, the one that caused the extinction of the dinosaurs. I mean, that's, you can almost visibly hit right at the edge there of, of Mexico near the Yucatan Peninsula. And 
you know, it had to be a very big impact in order to throw up as much dust and things as they say. And, you know, you look at how small, how relatively small, just comparison, it's one-tenth the size of the size of the meteor. So it doesn't take a very big one. You know, if you were to get something, you know, 100 miles across hitting, to the, hitting the Earth, you know, that takes out a good chunk of the United States if it hits. And that's only 100 miles, 100 miles isn't that far. That's not even, you know, the size of Pennsylvania, right? What is it, about a couple hundred miles, 300 miles across? Something like that. So about 300 miles across, you're only talking about a third of the size of Pennsylvania. That's not, it's big, but you know, but for that to take out a crater a thousand, you know, a thousand miles across, you know, takes out a big chunk of, you know, takes out most of the U.S. east of the Mississippi, right? But if it were to happen to hit right in the middle there. Even if it were to hit in the ocean, it wouldn't be a pleasant thing, right? Wipe out anything along the coast because, you know, think about the tsunamis that come up with the earthquakes. Think about something there splashing in. It's going to do just as much damage in the ocean. You know, Hawaii hits in the Pacific Ocean while well, Hawaii's gone. I mean, it'll wash completely over that as long as probably the west coast of the U.S. and a lot of Japan. You know, everything on the coast there would be, would be gone. So, an interesting thing. I mean, interesting to think about. Not much you can do anything about, though. You know, if it's coming, you know, there's no way, one way to send a mission up as they do in Hollywood. You know, send a mission up to blow up the asteroid. There's not too much you can really do. And in many cases, you might not even know about it until it's too late, because something a hundred miles across is not all that big. I mean, out in space, that's relatively tiny. So it could be, you know, they can be hiding out there, and you don't even know about it until it's too late. Now, the lunar craters, again, are about 3 to 4 billion years old. 3.9 we give here. 3 to 4 billion years old. Since that time, the, the amount of cratering has dropped off drastically. So early, the solar system is about 4.5 billion, 4 billion years old. For that first half billion to billion years, there was a lot of cratering. There were a lot of impacts. There was a lot of material around to, be, to impact in, to land on the moon, to land on the Earth. Mars, Venus, Mercury, all of the other planets, and the moons of the planets. And then it dropped off. So as we used up all of those meteors, as they impacted, there was no source to replenish them, so they were, they were gone, and there's been much less bombardment since then. Fortunately, we really wouldn't want to be getting hit by good-sized meteors every you know, couple times a month. Wouldn't, wouldn't be a pleasant thing for us to have. But when we look at the so we look at the craters, most of them are 3.9 billion years old or older. If we look at the ones on Earth, they're a lot younger. So the ones we see on Earth are the few that have happened since then. There's very little, if anything, on the surface of the Earth that's 3.9 billion years old. Just because we have such a volcanically active planet that the Earth's crust is constantly being created and destroyed. So there's new crust being created in the middle of the Atlantic, and there's crust being destroyed, you know, over the trenches going down by Japan, and the crust. So the crust is constantly changing. Not in our time, not in our lifetime. We see, we see some of the effects of it in earthquakes, but not in our lifetime does it really change. But over millions and billions of years, it completely recycles the Earth's crust. So it all gets melted. So that crater that was there gets melted, and then when the, that comes back out through you know, some of the other sections of the Earth, through a volcano or through the mid-ocean trenches, it's, the crater's gone. The crater didn't survive that melting. It's gone, and it's brand new crust. And start, everything starts all over again. Come on. Okay. 
Now how did the moon form? The moon is a very unusual object. It is very big relative to the Earth. And if we look, and we're going to here, so I'm jumping, I jump ahead a little bit, we're going to look. Mercury has no moons, so Mercury has nothing orbiting it other than the one satellite we just sent to it. Venus doesn't have any moons. Earth has one. Mars has two. But Mars's moons are incredibly tiny. They're teeny tiny little asteroids that look like they might have gotten captured by Mars. And they have very unusual orbits. The moon is the only, our moon, the moon, is the only object that we see around one of the terrestrial planets that is that big, the moon, where the moon is that big as compared to the other planets. You know, even the outer planets. Jupiter has moons the size of our moon. Saturn has a moon the size of our moon. But they're so much bigger that there's a big disparity between the size of the moon and the size of the planet. The Earth-Moon system is very unusual. And when we see something unusual, you usually have to come up with some kind of unusual suggestion for how it formed. And there's been a number of theories over time. This is the one we think is the most likely. There have been thoughts that maybe the moon was just formed elsewhere in the solar system and happened to travel close enough to the Earth and get captured. It was a possibility. It's a very hard thing to do though because the moon's orbit is almost a circle and it's very hard to capture something into a circular orbit. We can send a spacecraft into a circular orbit, but we're physically doing that. You know, you actually can adjust the orbits and get in there, but if it was just random just coming by, it's much more likely that it would have gotten, if it was captured, it would be in a highly irregular orbit. Or, this is the current, the current model suggests that there was an Earth there. You know, this is again, four and a half billion years ago as everything was forming. Four, four and a half billion years ago. And it got hit in a glancing blow by something maybe about the size of Mars. So a really big impact. Now you can imagine, I've already told you, it was what, the crater formed is ten times the size of the object? Well, if something the size of Mars would have hit the Earth, ten times the size of Mars would be bigger than the Earth. So this would have wiped out anything on the Earth at the time, but if we're talking four billion years ago, the Earth was pretty much just a molten mess. So there wasn't anything there to wipe out. But if it smashed in, it would have gathered some material to the Earth and perhaps some material into orbit that would slowly coalesce to form the moon. And that's what we're looking at here as a part of a computer simulation showing the impact and what might have happened. And over time you actually have the Earth here and the moon around it. And again, that is to explain primarily the fact that the moon is unusual in the solar system. Our moon is very unusual. It's really big compared to the size of the Earth. It's not bigger than the Earth, but it's still much bigger percentage of the size of the Earth than any other moon in the solar system. The only time you come close to it again or exceed it is when you talk about uh, Pluto. Pluto has a couple objects orbiting it that are a good chunk of the size of Pluto. But Pluto's not a planet anymore. Among the classic eight planets, or the eight planets, then it's, it's an unusual object. So it would have smashed into the liquid Earth, hadn't really solidified yet, formed material around it, and formed a moon out in orbit. Again, it sounds like a far-fetched theory. I mean, why did it do it that way? Why? But the only one we can come up with right now 
that explains it that wouldn't have, why would the other planets not have moons like this? Why doesn't Venus have a moon? Why doesn't Mercury have a moon? They're closer to the sun, but being closer or further from the sun wouldn't have anything to do with whether you'd form a moon around the planet. It also explains a composition difference between the Earth and the moon. The Earth, if you've looked at it before, and again, I know we skipped it a little bit, so I'm going back and covering the little bits on the Earth now as I do the other planets. The Earth has a very, very dense iron core. So the Earth has a lot of iron at its center. In fact, more iron than it should based on our looking at the other planets. Mercury should have the most, then Venus, then Earth, then Mars. It should go as you move as you go out. Earth is a lot denser than it should be, and the moon is a lot less dense than the Earth. So Earth is about five times denser than water, five and a half. The moon is about three times denser than water. Well, if they form together out of the same material, shouldn't they be the same? If you formed two things out of the same material, say if there's the same cloud of material around the sun that happened to form an Earth and a moon, it should form them exactly, should be about the same composition, but the moon isn't. The moon is, has a lot less iron than the Earth does. So what the other thing is here is if you look at this blue, a lot of this blue material, which is symbolizing the iron, the red is symbolizing the rocky material, the blue gets contracted into the Earth and increases the size of the Earth's core. So relative to other planets, the other terrestrial planets, the Earth would have a relatively bigger core because of this, which it does. And less of that material would have been left here. It would have been pulled into the stronger gravity of the Earth and left, less of it would have been left out to form the moon. And the moon does not have much of an iron core at all. It has some, but much less than the Earth does. So it explains a couple of different things. So here's again the history. So what did the moon look like about four billion years ago? No Maria. So this is early on. It was just starting to solidify. It was constantly getting hit by meteors. So you see some rather large impacts here. See a lot of smaller impacts. Three billion years ago was after the era of flooding when the moon had heated up inside and had flooded through cracks and had flooded the low-lying areas. So wherever these craters are now, you can see some of the larger craters there, there, and up here. They're the low-lying areas. They got flooded. So when lava flowed out of the surface, the way it flows out of a volcano on the Earth, it would have flooded those lower-lying areas and filled them up and made the sea, made the maria. Since that three billion years, and you can see the difference. We went from lots of craters to big sections with no craters to, a lot, to more cratered again, but you can still see the remnants of those maria. It's taken three billion years since those, a lot, the time of a lot of impacts to actually start covering up the moon again. So the Maria are starting to get covered with craters again. And that's just showing the little impacts that we've had over the last three billion years. Questions on the moon? Said I know, we're, we're zipping through a lot of this really quickly. So. so on to the terrestrial planets. See? Chapter, 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 right? Chapter six is the terrestrial planets. There's another picture of Mars. We looked at one picture of Mars today. There's another picture of Mars. That's a little more what you're used to seeing if you see pictures of Mars, right? The red surface. Looks like a red desert on the surface of the Earth. And that's probably the Viking. I'd have to look it up for sure. That may be the Viking probe. I'm not sure which one that is. Okay. Now we did, we did talk about this a little bit last time. Or last, not last time, but 
earlier in the semester when we looked at the orbits of the planets. We can't see Mercury and Venus because of their orbits, because they're inside the Earth's orbit, we can never see them very far away from the Sun. Means we've had a lot of trouble studying them. So until the era of spacecraft, which has been the last 50 years, you know, 50 years ago was what, 1961? You know, we're just starting to put objects into orbit. Until that time, we really couldn't study them very well. Mercury never gets more than about 28 degrees away from the Sun. To get an idea of how much that is, if you hold, to 10 degrees is if you hold your fist out at about arm's length. If you hold that against the sky, that's about 10 degrees. So if you do that about three times, stack your fist, that's about how far, that's further than Mercury can ever get away from the Sun. And in order to see Mercury real well, we've got to have the Sun below the horizon, right? Got to have Sun set so we can actually see, see Mercury. So you've got to have Mercury below the horizon. So if you wait until the sun, or sun, sun below the horizon, you get the sun one fist below the horizon, that's 10 degrees. Now all of a sudden you're looking only 18 degrees at its best to see, to see Mercury. We knew almost nothing about Mercury, really. We knew the planet, we could work on the orbit, we knew that it was there, but we couldn't tell you anything about the surface until much more recently, until we were able to sell, send some of the probes, the Mariner probes, to Mercury and Venus. So until we actually sent something there, we did not know a lot about its surface. Venus was the same way. Venus gets a little bit further away from the sun. So 47 degrees, but still you're talking less than five-fifths. Just to give you, a, give you a scale of that. It's still hard to see. Venus has the added disadvantage that it's covered in clouds. So even if we could see the surface of Mercury, we could actually see it. The surface of Venus you can't even see. Not from the Earth. You actually actually send a spacecraft there. And then you have two choices. You can either send something into orbit, but it's still not going to see through the clouds, right? Not with visible light at least. But it is going to see. If you send a radar mapping, you could actually radar map Venus. Or you could actually land on the surface of Venus, which has been done as well. And I'll show you a picture of that here in a few minutes. Now Mercury. For the longest time, we thought Mercury was locked to the sun. So Mercury was going to have the distinction of being the hottest and the coldest planet in the solar system, which is sort of an interesting thing to think. We have, we think about the same way the moon is locked to the Earth. So the moon always keeps one side towards the Earth. Well, Mercury is a small planet, very, very close to the sun. Maybe it kept one side towards the sun. We couldn't make any good observations of it. So we had no way to disprove this. It took measurements in 1965, radar measurements of Mercury, in order to be able to determine exactly what it does do. And the way it does rotate and revolve around the sun is there is a resonance, but it's not locked in a one-to-one, -one, which would mean it always keeps the same side facing the sun, which would have meant that side would be incredibly hot. After four billion years of facing the sun, it's going to be a little warm there, right? And the other side would have been the coldest place in the solar system because it never saw the sun. Even though it's that close, you know, Mercury is not going to conduct heat through its surface very well. So it's going to be the coldest. So it, would have, it would have been the coldest and the hottest place in the solar system. What it does do in orbit in this very odd way, it orbits in a 3 to 2 ratio, which means that you have three days on Mercury 
three days is equal to two years. So every two years, Mercury has three days. So it goes around one and a half, it has one and a half days each year. So it takes it 88 days to go around the sun once, and it takes it about 58, 58 days to orbit, 59 days to orbit once, to spin once on its axis. So this is just showing you this in an image. And I'm not too worried about the details of the image. I wanted to give you the idea that it does, it does have a, it is locked to the sun, but it's locked in this unusual pattern. And we may see some more of these as we go further out in the solar system. We'll see some other interesting, interesting patterns that occur. For example, the asteroids have some interesting patterns and resonances that we'll see. But this is an example of Mercury's and something that we couldn't see. The idea, to go back again, is that we couldn't tell this before because the, we couldn't see Mercury. You know, if we could have seen Mercury nice in the night sky like we could see Mars, we could actually watch Mars and we could watch it spin on its axis and we could measure pretty accurately how long a day on Mars was. We didn't have any idea on Mercury until we had radar instruments that could measure it in 1965. So until we were actually able to measure that, you know, just what, 40, 46 years ago now. Okay. So let's look at them. Look at them in a little bit more detail. Mercury and the atmospheres. So the atmospheres of the planets. The three terrestrial planets at least. We'll come back to the big ones in a little bit here. Mercury has no atmosphere. So Mercury has nothing. No atmosphere, no, no little anything. It's much too hot. It's right next to the sun. I mean it's about two-thirds closer to the sun. It's about, yeah, it's about two-thirds closer. It's a little more than a third of an astronomical unit away from the sun. So it's much, much hotter than the Earth would be. It's getting a much more solar energy. It's also a lot smaller than the Earth. So because of that combination, there's no way it can hold on to an atmosphere. It's too hot. All the particles are moving so quickly, they just escape out into space. So if it had a little atmosphere at one point, the sun heats those particles up so fast that they you see the escape velocity of the planet. So they're going faster than you need to to launch a rocket from the planet on average. Then there's no atmosphere. So Mercury has no atmosphere. Venus, on the other hand, is an extremely dense atmosphere. So Venus is further away. It's bigger. It's almost the size of the Earth. And it does have a very thick atmosphere. And in fact, when you look at the outer clouds, this is a picture in the ultraviolet. But when you look at the outer clouds, it looks like a lot like the Earth. So at one point, you know, and not that, that long ago, I say at one point, I'm not talking hundreds of years ago, but even 50, 60 years ago, Venus was thought of as the jungle planet. You know, maybe it's just really hot. Maybe it's, maybe it's you know, hot and wet down there. You've got all these clouds. You know, clouds mean what? Water, right? That's what we're used to on Earth. So if we see clouds, we think water. They aren't in Venus's case, but that's what was thought. So maybe it's a great big jungle down there. It is warm. But it's actually hot, it, but beyond warm, it's hot. And not just a little hot, extremely hot. Hot enough to melt lead. So it's extremely hot on the surface. So Venus actually is the hottest planet in the solar system. And that led to issues with the first satellites landing there because we didn't know exactly how hot it was going to be or how everything was going to hold up. 
But when the Russians sent their first spacecraft to land there, they didn't last very long. It's extremely high temperatures and it's an extremely corrosive atmosphere. Sulfuric acid and some other acids, so you know, metals and things didn't survive too well in that atmosphere. So they were able to land, take some pictures, and they would promptly, you know, cease functioning. Between the high pressure of the atmosphere, the high pressure, the high temperature, and the composition of the atmosphere just served to destroy anything. So it's not a planet we're likely to land, you know, we talk about taking people to another planet, we talk about going to Mars, we talk about going back to the moon, we don't talk about going to Venus. There's too much going on there that we probably, you know, you'd have to make certain adjustments for this, for the atmosphere and it would be very, very hard to do. Now, this atmosphere of Mars has some similarities to the Earth has a lot of argon, has carbon dioxide, but it's mostly carbon dioxide. So it's actually, in a way, it's, it has some similarities to the Earth, but it's actually more similar to Venus's, except it's very thin. So Mars has an atmosphere, but it's a lot of carbon dioxide, which is actually what Venus's atmosphere is, you know, 90-some percent carbon dioxide. So it's so thick there, it's gotten so hot that all the carbon dioxide on Earth that is here, it's here, it's all, you know, oceans take it and make it into rocks. So it's all cooked into rocks. Venus gets so hot that it cooks the carbon dioxide back out. There is no water on Venus to soak that carbon dioxide back up. So it just builds up in the atmosphere, builds up that runaway greenhouse effect that heats up the surface and it just becomes a, it's a runaway effect. So it gets a little bit hotter, which heats, makes more carbon dioxide, puts more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and makes it even hotter. Mars is similar in composition. It's got a carbon dioxide atmosphere primarily, but it's a very, very thin atmosphere. Venus's is about 100 times the density of the Earth's. So you think about the pressure at the surface of Venus would be 100 times what it is right here. So even if it was an atmosphere you could breathe, it wouldn't be very pleasant for us. Mars's is about 1 100th of the Earth's. So Mars is saying extremely thin atmosphere. Now here's some of the pictures we're starting to see. This is from Messenger before it actually went into orbit. Messenger is now orbiting Mercury and taking even better pictures. This is an older picture. We're seeing things that are 100 kilometers across. The scale here is about 100 kilometers. So about 60 miles across. But if I didn't tell you it's Mercury, we just looked at pictures of the moon not too long ago. Looks a lot like the moon, right? So the cratering on Mercury is the same objects. The cratering is the same throughout the solar system. Objects hit Mercury. Objects hit the moon. They, neither one has an atmosphere. So they both look pretty much the same. And if I just were to show you pictures and show you one picture of, the, of a close-up section of the moon and one picture of a close-up section on Mercury, I wouldn't expect you to be able to tell the difference because they'd look pretty much the same. But again, it's only recently that we've been able to get this kind of images of Mercury. Mostly you just see a little blob. If you look at it through a telescope, through the, uh, through the Earth's atmosphere, it's just a little tiny blob. But the cratering is the same. That's exactly what we see on the surface of the moon. Now, Venus, oops, nope, sorry. 
There are some, there is, there's one feature that's a little bit different. Moon has some of these too, but not near as much as Mercury. And they're what we call scarps. And a scarp are these little ridges that kind of run throughout the picture. And you'll see a few of them there. The moon has a few. Mercury has a lot of them. Now, they're hundreds of kilometers long, but you don't get the impact of how big they are from this picture. I mean, when we're looking at these, you're talking about something three kilometers high. So it just looks like this little bump on the picture. But to put that to scale on the actual surface of Mercury, if you were there, those would be three kilometers high, which would be what? About not quite two miles, a little under two miles high. So that's a pretty high, that's a pretty tall little cliff in here. These things are actually pretty high. And what we think happened is that Mercury cooled, when as Mercury cooled off, everything would have formed. It would have been a nice hot ball. And as it started to form the crust, and then the, the crust would have solidified first. And then as the material inside solidified, it kind of pulled the crust down and crumpled it a little bit. So as the planet cooled, it shrank, and the crust that had formed first kind of crumpled down and formed all of these ridges and cliffs. But again, they're a lot bigger than it looks like on this picture. So one distinctive thing is that when you see the scarps, that you're usually looking at a picture of Mercury. And there are a few something, some similar types on the surface of the moon, but not quite exactly the same. Okay, now Venus, I think. Yep, there's Venus. Venus, again, looks a lot like the Earth. There's a radar map of Venus and a radar map of Earth. And yeah, the continents, you don't see a little United States in there or a little, you know, Asia. But overall, they look just about the same. I mean, now, there's no oceans there. That blue on Venus does not mean oceans. It just means lower areas. These are both radar pictures. So that's actually the blue here is where the oceans happen to be on Earth. But you're actually seeing the depths of how low things are down. So when you see on Earth, you see some, a lot of lower areas. You see a lot of lower areas, areas on Venus. And you see a couple continents. Continent, continent, continent. Maybe some over here. Some islands. Again, islands, not that there's water around them. There's no water there. But if you could imagine, you know, you took Venus and you were able to cool it off and condense water and get water back on it, it would look a lot like the surface of the Earth. Overall, they're not all that dissimilar. Venus is almost exactly the same size as the Earth. Slightly smaller, just a hair smaller, but really, really close in terms of size. So in terms of structures and what they'd look like, Again, don't get confused with it. There's no water there. I know it looks like the same blue on them, and it looks like there's where the oceans are on the Earth. It looks like there's oceans on Venus. There are not any. But there are lower areas and higher areas, just like there are on the Earth. Now, the surface of Venus, here's one of the couple of real visible light pictures we have. Again, looks like a desert scene from Earth, right? Everything, you look at any of the other planets, it looks very, very deserted, but very like a desert. And you're seeing a little bit, this is from the Venera spacecraft. So it's from a Russian lander that actually landed on the surface of, Ven of Venus, went down through the atmosphere, landed, was able to take a few pictures before it was crushed and dissolved and destroyed by the, and melted by the atmosphere. Now, if the atmosphere is hot enough to melt lead, it's going to do some damage to other materials and instruments. The acids were corrosive, would, just, would destroy it. 
and the high pressure would crush it, would serve to crush it too. But it was able to get a few pictures. You get an idea of the haziness as you're looking through the, through the atmosphere. It's not a real bright surface because you have this perpetual cloud cover. So it's constantly covered in clouds and you can never really, you know, you, you have just this hazy light coming through that you get you know, on an extremely cloudy day on Earth. But the composition, the composition of the atmosphere and all the sulfuric acids and things in it give it a little bit of a more reddish yellow tinge to the coloring. So one picture of the surface of Venus. There, there aren't a whole lot visible light because you have to get below the clouds. We can easily map it out in radio waves, radar waves, by taking pictures in that. But to actually get down and see what the surface of Venus looks like, you actually have to land an, an object, you have to land a space probe on the surface of Venus. So there aren't a whole lot of good pictures of the surface of Venus in visible light. How about Mars? As we rush through the planets, did the Moon and Mercury and Venus and on to Mars all in one day. Biggest feature on Mars is the Tharsis Bulge. So that's a big area here and it's the major volcanic region on Mars. Now Mars does not have active volcanoes anymore. It does have several volcanoes still on it. But it has very little cratering in this area. But this whole area was the most volcanically active and it has built up. So over the time, billions of years ago when Mars was volcanically active and these volcanoes were spewing out lava, they built up so that this whole area is 10 kilometers high. So it's been pushed up. You've added that much material to the surface to actually make it 10 kilometers higher than most of the rest of the surface. So there's a whole area here that kind of bulges out on the surface of Mars. Valles Marineris is a large valley going across the surface of Mars. To give an idea of the scale, this, if you put this on Earth, it would stretch from the east coast of the U.S. to the west. So it would stretch all the way across the United States. And it probably is, it's not, you know, you compare it to the Grand Canyon, which, you know, on Earth makes, you know, one of these little tiny side things would be, you know, comparable to the Grand Canyon. So it's a lot bigger than that. But it's formed differently, the Grand Canyon. Now, the Grand Canyon was what hollowed out by water, running water over many millions of years. Well, that's not what this was. We will see some evidence for water on Mars coming up either, probably, probably on Wednesday. But this is probably where the crust started to split, a, split apart. So we have plate tectonics on the Earth, right? We have different plates. You've got the North American plate and they're all moving in motion with each other. Mars is a lot smaller than the Earth. So this is probably maybe an area where plate tectonics tried to get started, but Mars was just too small and cooled off too fast for it to ever really take effect and form, that could form the plate tectonics that we see on the Earth. Now, one more. Yeah, let's look at the big volcano as we finish up here. Olympus Mons, the largest volcano in the solar system. 700 kilometers in diameter at the base. So 400 miles across. So that's a volcano, what? Would fit across the state of Pennsylvania pretty, pretty easily. The caldera, the cone at the top, where the lava would have come out up here, and you can see that there's multiple ones, would be 80 kilometers across. So about 50 miles in diameter. Pretty big. Height-wise, well, 25 kilometers high. That doesn't mean much, right? 25 kilometers. 
what is that, about 6 or 12, 15 or so miles high? About three times higher than Mount Everest? So an incredibly big volcano. And we'll come back here and I'll start on here again next time. But Mars does have the biggest volcanoes in the solar system and Olympus Mons is the largest of them. There's another set of three that are only a little bit smaller. So I'll come back there, but just just give you something to think about. That's a volcano that if it was on the Earth would you know stretch across an entire state. Stretch across the entire state of Pennsylvania. So I'll finish up there and we'll pick up and finish up Mars and go on to the bigger planets on Friday. I'll see you then.